In Luke chapter 10, we find uh, one of the greatest short stories ever told. It's a parable told to challenge our thinking and to test our notion of what love is. It's a story that was offensive in Jesus's time, and I would uh, venture to say that it still packs a mighty punch if you will examine it with an open heart. Uh, This whole text that we're going to look at today, I want to make one big encouragement for, um, and, and it's this. This is for you. It's not for your neighbor. It's not for your friends. It's not for, you know, someone on the other side of the aisle. It's not for anybody else. It's for you, and it's for me. This is not for your spouse. This is not, you know, you shouldn't be elbowing your, your husband or wife halfway through going, you should really be listening. This is for you. This is a lesson from Jesus's words about religious people and their love. And religious people and the way that they treat other people. We're going to read it together. <clears throat> we'll unpack the story. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. And so I'm so honored today um, that I get the chance to teach it. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, some call this person a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is teaching a large crowd and this lawyer stands up in the middle of the crowd and asks a really good question. This is the question that I would venture to say that you would ask Jesus if you were before Jesus. What do I have to do to be right before God? What do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to make it to heaven? What do I have to do that God would be happy with my life? It's a great question. But what we're going to see is that this isn't the only question the lawyer came to ask. He has another question behind this question. And so knowing his heart, Jesus does what Jesus so often does. Instead of asking, or rather instead of answering the question, Jesus asks another question. Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? In other words, he says, okay, you're an expert. You're a lawyer. You're a teacher of the law. You know the scriptures. You know what they teach. Let me just ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What does it say? So the lawyer answers the question with a perfect answer. He begins to recite a passage from the Old Testament, something out of what we call the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter six. It's a portion of scripture that every Jewish person would have memorized. Everybody in Jesus' audience would have known this passage. He recites it by saying this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, sorry, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. It's a great answer, but there's something more and just stay with me for a second because it's really important. There's, there's not just this. There's actually something else the lawyer adds that he actually got from Jesus. See, in a different Q&A session, in a different area, in a different time, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, a question is posed to Jesus. And the question that's posed to Jesus is, what is the greatest commandment? And here is Jesus' response. He recites the same passage of scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, sorry, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus recites the same thing. And then Jesus adds something to this Shema. He says this, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what's the question? Remember the question, how do you please God? How do you get to heaven? How are you seen 
by God as someone who has actually lived well? That's the question. What's the most important thing to God? Out of everything in the whole world, what's the most important thing to God? And Jesus says, love God. Everyone knew that. And then he adds, love your neighbor the way you love yourself. And here's what you have to hold on to before we go any further. What Jesus was saying is that your relationship with God is dependent on your love for people. So what you're going to learn, and I'm going to go ahead and bury the lead. What we're going to learn is that we prove our love for God by our love for people. How do you know you love God? Well, do you love people? That's how you know. Essentially what Jesus is going to answer to this question, to this intense question about eternal life is, he's going to answer it this way. To inherit eternal life, I must love God by loving people as myself. This is where we're going. This is where we're going. This is where the text is going to take us. Jesus gives this radical answer. And so the neighbor, sorry, so this lawyer gives the same answer. Again, we go back to the answer the lawyer gives. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Again, he gives Jesus Jesus' answer. So what does Jesus say to him? You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. You're right. Good. You did it. Perfect. Conversation over. We did it. We solved it. Solved the problem over. How do you inherit eternal life? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Good? All right. Let's all go home. This is it. We're done. We finished. We solved the problem. We know exactly what is required of God or exactly what is required of men to be perfect before God. But here's where the text gets interesting. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. He had another question. And this question he believed would not only alienate Jesus from the crowd, but also justify himself. So he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay. We'll get back to the story in just about a minute. But before we do, we just need to talk about this question for a moment because this is so rich. Love your neighbor as you love yourself is actually a quote from the Old Testament. It's found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And what's significant about this verse is the Leviticus 19, verse 18, neighbor is defined. Do you, you want to see how it's defined? Is what it says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. So who's your neighbor? It's actually very ethnically focused. It's very nationalistically focused. This verse says, don't hold a grudge or seek revenge against anyone who is one of your people. But... In contrast, instead of holding a grudge, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the text defines neighbor as the people in your community. Your neighbor are your people. So who's my neighbor? A man's neighbor are the members of his community. So now you can say, ha, okay, 
So what's the question that's being asked? The neighbor's asking, or sorry, the lawyer's asking, who are my people? Who do I have to say are my people? Okay, they're my people from among me, but who are those people among me? And really, this boils down to a single question that I I think needs to penetrate our hearts. And and it's this question. Who do I need to love? You want to be right before God? Who do I need to love? Okay, sure, I need to love others as I love myself, but who counts? How big do I have to draw that circle? Because, I mean, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people that I don't really want to love. (laughs) There's a lot of people out there. There's people of different races, of different ethnicities. There's people of different religions. Do I have to love those people? How about levels of righteousness? Are my people determined by my community, by my location, by my political ideologies? If I'm a teacher of the law, does that mean that I can choose to only love people who love the law? This is the question. Who do I have to love? Who is my neighbor? Tell all of us, Jesus, who is my neighbor? How much neighbor loving do I have to participate in (laughs) to be seen as good by God? Now, of course, Jesus knows exactly where this guy is going. So Jesus did what Jesus does. Jesus does not answer the question, but instead just tells the most remarkable story, such a brilliant story. And just a fair warning, instead of giving him the minimum, this, this story will inspire readers throughout all of generation to a world changing standard of love to a world-changing standard of care and compassion. And so they, they sit there, right? Everyone's sitting there. Everyone's leaning in. Everyone wants to hear the answer to, to this question. The lawyer's asking, who do I have to love? And everyone's waiting for Jesus' answer. And Jesus begins to tell a story. We're about to read the story of the Good Samaritan. And just by a show of hands, who has heard of this story before? <laughs> yeah, everyone. You know you can go to any audience, religious or not, and ask that same question. And they've heard this story. That just tells you how much of an impact the words of this, like, who who is Jesus? He's a Jewish rabbi from 2,000 years ago. And his stories still penetrate, you know, the modern world just as powerfully as it did back then. I mean, if that's not a reason to follow Jesus, I I don't know, there's many reasons, but that's certainly one of them. And he he made it up in his mind in that moment, told it, and now it lives on in infinitum or whatever it's called. So here's the story. You ready? By the way, uh, Jason or someone back there, can you give me water? Mike? Someone. Okay. Oh, Mike, can you give me water? (laughs) I appreciate you, Mike. A lot of neighbor lovering having over here. Okay, the story. You ready? Here it is. Verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, how much, who do I have to love? Let me tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side so too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw the man pass by on the other side. So there's a guy, he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a 16 mile journey. Essentially it's directly downhill. And while he's on this journey, he's robbed. He's beaten and he's left for dead. 
And in the story, Jesus says there's two religious type people. There's a priest and there's a Levite. Thank you, bro. You're not Mike. Um, <laughs> there's a priest and there's a, a Levite. And they're also on their road, on the same road. And, and, and maybe they're going for some religious thing. And they're headed to temple. Or they're headed to worship. Or they're headed, or they're headed home. But the story goes that they see the guy on the other side of the road. Or they see the guy and they cross over to the other side of the road. And they pass him by. They see the guy, bruised, bleeding, and they just pass him by. The story begins with an indictment, an indictment on the fact that religious people who were supposed to love the Lord their God with all their heart and love neighbors as they love themselves did not care. That's how it starts. For the sake of their own comfort, for the sake of their own, I don't know, convenience, they did not care. So here Jesus uses these two characters to basically rebuke the religious structure. The Levites, the priests, the religious institution. And this is the big idea about these religious people. Here, here it is and you can't miss it. What happens is they didn't love people, which proved they didn't love God. That's the whole point. They think they love God because they're religious. But when they see someone bleeding on the side of the road, they pass him by, which proved they actually don't love God at all. And before we get all self-righteous and start criticizing them, just remember, this is for you, not for anyone else. And I think you have to make an honest appraisal of yourself. It's likely that we too have been tempted many times to see people and want to pass them by on the other side of the road. We have, tried, we have failed to meet people's need because maybe we were in a rush, maybe because we just felt like we wanted to, we preferred to extend judgment rather to extend a helping hand. Look, I, I see this more today than ever before. I, I look at I look at our politically divided communities and it's not just political, it's like tribal. We're like, everything's divided. It's, you know, there's, there's everyone's on different sides of every argument. And I look at all these different sides and, you know, people of different political ideologies are always, are, are not always, but are often just passed by, are just passed by. You know, we don't stop to listen. You don't stop to see. You don't stop to to. To, to engage. Often we're tempted not to stop to mourn, to stop to get someone's perspective, stop to listen. Instead, what, what often happens is we put people into categories and that enables us to pass them by without really thinking much. Maybe you've done this. I certainly have. I'm just saying we should be careful in condemning them because in doing so, you might be condemning yourself. Categorize placed on the side of the road. One of the commentators I read talked about this idea that if you were beaten like this, it was likely that you were unclean. And so being a religious person, touching them would have made you unclean. And so it was was this idea of just, I don't even want to deal with these unrighteous people. I'm headed for some spiritual matters. And so Jesus is basically just saying, yeah, if you, if they really loved God, they would have engaged. That's basically what he's saying. And so he's telling this story, right? Everyone's rebuked. Everyone's feeling, oh, that's, that's really bad. And then the story, like he just doubles down. And this is the next line. You know the next line, but it's just so good. But a Samaritan. 
Now you've heard this before that Samaritans didn't get along with Jewish people, but the, but the situation is so much worse than that. The best way to describe the relationship between Jews and Samaritans is like the first century equivalent of like institutionalized racism. There was a long painful history of religious hostility, political betrayal, bigotry. In fact, if you wanted to say something bad about somebody else, you called them a Samaritan. There's a, there's a time when Jesus is being talked about badly and uh, he said, they say this of him. <laughs> Jesus, the Jews answer Jesus, and this is what it says. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan <laughs> and demon possessed? The point is that like, they, they put to the same, same level demon-possessed people and Samaritans. In another case, they put people at the same level who have, who have tax, you're, you're a Samaritan and a tax collector. You have a demon and you're a Samaritan. The worst thing you could say to somebody is that they were a Samaritan. If you were a Samaritan, it means that you were an outcast, that you were despised, and Jesus, at risk of losing the ca- crowd, makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. Listen to the story. But, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put a man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Each one of these sentences is laced with so much thought, but here's the basic idea. This is over-the-top, lavish love. The Samaritan on his own journey headed towards business or headed towards worship or somewhere else comes upon this man. He sees him half dead on the road and he doesn't pass him by. He stays with him. He sees the man. He comes to the man. He bandages his wounds. He treats his wounds. He puts him on his own animal, which means he has to walk the rest of the way. He brings him to an inn. He stays with the man overnight in a hotel. The next day, he takes out from his own banker two denarii, pays the innkeeper, which is about two days wages, which would have um, been enough for about two months stay at the inn. Imagine paying a hotel room for two months for a random stranger, stopping your plans, adjusting your uh, schedule just to care for someone else who you not only never met, but who is your mortal enemy. And it's not just, if that's not enough, he says, hey, to the innkeeper, why don't you do this? Take care of him and whatever expenses he has at the end of his time with you, I will pay. This is a formula for extortion, but it's also love. I like to think about it this way, that this man did not care about any of the it's because he cared about him. He didn't care about his money. He didn't care about his, like his, like him being uncomfortable. He didn't care about any of the it's because he cared so much about him. Man, what a thought, right? This is real love. This is real Christian love. I wonder if I could be, it could be said of me or really anyone here that we cared for people more than we cared for our money. 
or more than we cared for our comforts or more than we cared for our pleasure, that we cared for people more than we cared for our stuff. And so you have this amazing story of care and compassion and what makes it so profound and relevant for us today is that Jesus did something then that really, I would say, echoes to today. And we're going to get to a really relevant point in a second. But what Jesus does is he redefines neighbor. He does it for everyone and every nation and every generation that will follow. And he does it with one perfectly timed question. Are you ready? And this question is going to make you examine your heart. It's going to make you deal with your own prejudice. It's going to make you examine your bias. And remember, please, this is not for anyone else. This is for you. And it's one question, and it's this question. So the whole audience is leaning in. You have the story. The lawyer asks the question, how do I make it to heaven? Jesus says, okay, I have a story for you. Here it goes like this. Two religious people didn't love the dude. A Samaritan showed him love. So here's the question for you. Are you ready? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which of these three was a neighbor? Can I ask this question a little bit differently? How about this? Which of these three loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength by loving another as himself? That's the question. Which of these actually loved God by the way they love someone else? That's the question. Which of these men loved God? And I think at this point, the lawyer is thinking to himself, I made a bad mistake. (laughs) A miscalculation here. I made a mistake. So the lawyer answers. I love the lawyer's answer. The expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. (laughs) He can't even say the word Samaritan. (laughs) Just (laughs) the guy who had mercy. Yeah, he's right. He's right. And this is where the definition is made so clear. Because to be a neighbor is to show mercy. You want to know what a ma- who your neighbor is? It's anybody you can show mercy to. Who is your neighbor? Anyone you can show mercy to. To be a neighbor is to show mercy. To love God is to show mercy to others. In order to make it to heaven, you have to be willing to show mercy to your mortal enemy. But they hate me and I hate them. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Can you love them? Because if you can't, you can't make it to heaven. I'm not kidding. This 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 is what we get from this passage. Regardless of how different they are, regardless of how different they think, regardless of how different they act, no matter what they think of you, It's about loving lavishly those who may never fully appreciate it and those who may hate you because of the way you love them. To have a neighbor is to show someone mercy. And it has nothing to do with location and it has nothing to do with ethnicity and it has nothing to do with race and it has nothing to do with even religion. It has nothing to do with generation. Your neighbor is the person you can show mercy to. You could show it to them physically, spiritually, psychologically, or otherwise. But, but what eats all of us up is this feeling that those people aren't my people. And so because they aren't my people, I don't have to show them mercy. And I'm telling you, even the most spiritual amongst us, I, I know because I've had these conversations with you, are struggling with this. 
And I just want to, I want to admit to you, first off, that this is brutally hard. Like what I'm about to describe is like unbelievably difficult. It's unbelievably difficult. It's so hard to show mercy to people who you are convinced are completely wrong. It's really hard to show mercy to people who you think hate you because they actually may hate you. But I want you to know the scripture gives you no wiggle room. No wiggle room. The overwhelming question is, who are your people? Who are your people? And all of us want to make that category really, really small. We all want to do it. I want to put people into categories so that I can ultimately remove their humanity and I can forget that they're human and by forgetting they're human, then I can remember that, or I can think that God doesn't love them, God doesn't care about them, and so I don't have to care about them. And I'm just letting you know that this is happening all the time. In the landscape of this country, we are in a landscape of division built by categorizing people and polarizing every person and putting everybody in a tribe. And here's what I need you to know, and I need to know too. Your love for God will be judged or more, or more harshly judged by your love for people than anything else you do. I come to church every week. God does, like, read Micah 6. He does not care. He doesn't care. Like, I give a lot of money. Like, well, who have you loved recently? And it's not like, if, and, and Jesus says this, this is crazy. If you love people who love you, you are just like the rest of the world. You're just like a pagan. So it's not even about loving people who love you. It's actually loving your enemies. And I like the word enemies because at first I'm like, you can't have any enemies, but you can. You know, you have people who actually hate Christianity. In some way, they are your enemies, but you're still called to love them and show, you, show them tremendous mercy. You're going to have to fight the urge to remove people's humanity. So, so look, if you're a, it, it, I want to ask you a couple questions. In, is the black man or woman who is politically aligned with the opposite side of you, who believes in, you know, the idea that, who is fearful of police brutality, your neighbor? The answer is 100% he is or she is. But someone will say, who's on another side of an argument, but statistically saying, blah, 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 blah. Who cares what you say? Who even cares what you think about any of the subject? Well, uh, I want you to know that there's not a lot of people, and I'm not even going to dive into all these issues. I just want you to know, like, if that triggers you, it's because you have been put in two camps. If you're feeling like, oh, I don't really, I'm not sure if, you know, you don't see the Samaritan asking for the facts and the numbers of all the people who have survived by beatings before he decides to love a person. He just loves a person. Is, 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 the, is the Trump supporter who stands on the corner of University and Griffin, sometimes waving flags and sometimes waving Confederate flags, is he your neighbor? The answer to that question is yes. But you don't understand, you know, these are dog whistles for racism. I want to tell you, who cares? Who cares what he's dog whistling to? Could you love him? Could you show compassion to him? Could you come up and give him a glass of water? Could you tell him that you love him? Could you tell him that Jesus loves well, what is What is the matter with you? You put somebody in a category, you dehumanize him, and all of a sudden you can hate them now? What is wrong with us? 
who, who cares about the subject matter of the things they believe that have put them in the category they're in? I'm telling you, we have become so indoctrinated with the world's teachings that we have missed the pure, simple religion of love and mercy. Is the person walking into an abortion clinic who feels like this is their last opportunity, they have no other chance, is that your neighbor? The answer is yes. But they shouldn't be doing that and we should make sure that, you know, whatever. Yeah, okay, uh, who, stop it. Stop it. Can you just take some time and show somebody else mercy? Please, please. I think, I think we struggle to actually do the greatest commandment because we have fallen in love with the freedoms we have in America to judge and to criticize people. The person who is struggling with their own gender ideology is your neighbor. The communist is your neighbor. The capitalist is your neighbor. The black person, the white person, the the Latino, the Asian, the Russian is your neighbor. The Ukrainian is your neighbor. The immigrant lining up to get into this country is your neighbor. They are your neighbor. And hear me out, I'm not advocating, honestly, I'm telling you, I'm not advocating for any specific position on any of these things. I'm just asking you that before you judge somebody, please extend some mercy. You are a part, uh, otherwise, you are just a part of the broken, corrupted religious system that Jesus was rebuking at that day when he told this story. Learn to show mercy. Your terrible boss is your neighbor. (laughs) The parent, the parent that abused you is your neighbor. Your child that has abandoned you, that pushed you aside, is your neighbor. The people that despise you are your neighbors. And the most religious among us, I think, still try to justify ourselves. We were put on the earth to show God's love, but we pass by on the other side of a dying world because we are so fast to show judgment. I think sometimes because we're too afraid to see anyone else's humanity. So we don't love people who believe differently, who vote differently, who look differently. No, 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 no. Or we say, no, I do love them. I just keep them on the other side of the road. No, I love them so much. They're just over there. (laughs) You know, no, I I love them. I mean, if I had binoculars, I could barely see them. But I mean, they're like, but I I do love them. I, I just think it's a miss. And I think what we're doing is actually being hypocrites. This story has been a rebuke for the whole kind of self-centered Christian mentality. And it really, it's been a rebuke for me. I want to share kind of a personal story. Um, I debated whether or not I was going to, I was going to share this because there's a lot of categories of people that I have. I've put a lot of people in a lot of categories. I could talk about a lot of things, but I want to share about one that's kind of stupid, but it's also, um, it's true. I, I was struggling with this. Um, we post our messages on YouTube. We post all of our sermons on, on YouTube. And, um, and the guys in the back do a great job chopping it up and they put them into shorts. They, they put these like 30 second clips of sometimes me preaching, sometimes, you know, the other guys preaching, sometimes some of the testimony people sharing. They take these 30 second clips and they put them on YouTube and, and uh, people, you know, people watch them relatively frequently. Um, <clears throat> but every time we put one up, someone comments like, ugh, Christianity is such a joke. 
Imagine believing in a God that's in heaven. Or obviously this person doesn't know anything about the Bible because if they did, they would understand blah, 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 blah. And obviously it's a 30 second clip. You know, there's no context at all about what we're, what we're trying to say. And uh, I'm telling you though, I read them and I want to punch those people in the face. <laughs> I've thought to myself, like, like if I, I like, and I'm telling you, this is the worst part of me. I've like went online to like look up their names and find them on Facebook. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, who are these people? And I find them and I see like, you're like, you're whatever. I could tell you're a drunk. And I, I mean, like I'm saying, I'm confessing sin. It's not a joke. It's real. Like <laughs> I can tell you, you know, you had a divorce and eh, if you were really spiritual, you wouldn't this, you wouldn't that. Like this is what happens in my own heart. I, they are my enemy. Yeah, someone who says Christianity is, is wrong is, is in many ways an enemy to Christianity, right? But, but that doesn't mean I can't love them and show them mercy. But anyway, but, but then what I want to do is categorize them, strip their humanity, and destroy them. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. That's my nature. That's what I want to do. It's the ugliest part of who I am. Dehumanize, dehumanize, dehumanize dehumanize so that I can categorize or categorize so that I can dehumanize so that I can extend judgment. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm doing this on YouTube comments on a Christian page. I'm just saying there's other things we're doing it with and I just, I wanna encourage us, please, please, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Step away from all that stuff, you know. So I, I've decided from now on, I'm gonna, find, I'm gonna find them and I'm gonna DM them. But I'm gonna DM them something that sounds like, you know, hey, I noticed a comment on, on whatever, and I'd love to hear about your perspective on Christianity because I feel like that's not me going on the other side of the road because that's what I want to do. Now I want to just delete all their comments and say, bump you. But now I'm like, you know, I'm going to engage. I'm going to go, I'm going to go up next to them and I'm going to figure it out. And this is not, you know, something good I'm doing. This is in response to my own sinfulness. I just want to say, I have the gospel. You have the gospel. You have liberating good news of Jesus Christ. And if you will just engage with people, instead of getting into your petty arguments, I do believe you can extend love, extend mercy, and save people's soul from a dying, corrupting world. So, go back to the story, right? That's, that's, that's it. So, the guy answers. He says, hey, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says this. Hey, you, you answered correctly. Then he tells him to do this. Go and do likewise. Be a Samaritan. Be a Samaritan. And look, you have a choice. You can walk away or you can show mercy. There's someone in this church right now that disagrees with you on whatever. You can just push them aside and go, ah, oh, I don't really deal with that. Or you can say, I just want to learn from you. I want to sit down and understand what you think. I want to hear from you. I want to build bridges because I, I want to I know and I want to love you and I want to be your friend. And I don't want to have a quiet judgment on you. Instead, I want to have a full life of mercy. Those are my options. I can go by on the other side of the road or I can show mercy. And what I love about this story is that really Jesus didn't just do it in words, but at the end of his life, Jesus would become a neighbor for everybody. You know what the story says? You know, you know what, rather, you know what the Bible says? That while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus would, at the end of his life, find us half dead on the side of the road while we were still enemies. 
while you were still an enemy, half dead, robbed by the devastation of life. And guess what? Jesus did not pass us by. But instead, he came to us, he saw us, he carried our suffering. It would cost him way more than two months' wages. It would cost him his life. He was, we were his enemy, and yet he would die for us and give us a chance to have life everlasting. And this is why before he dies, he would tell his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And then he adds this word, so you, you see that word? So you what? So you must. Loving one another is not an optional Christian command. It's a mandated command. You must love one another. By this, and the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love each other. We're called to love. Love in a way that would make you feel uncomfortable, that would make you busy. Love in a way that would make your life a little more inconvenient. Love that makes you suffer for someone else. Love that makes you stay out all night. Love that makes you sacrifice. Love that makes you fight for someone, advocate for someone, pour out your life for someone. Because in the moment when you needed it most, in the moment when you were dead in your sin, in a moment when you were absolutely broken and battered, Jesus decided not to pass you by, but to engage with you. So now I'm going to ask you a terrifying question, and this is just for you. I don't know the specific answer, but here's your question. Who do you need to love like a neighbor? Is it Black Lives Matter supporters? Is it Trump rally goers? Is it police officers? Is it poor people? Is it rich people? Is it Republicans? Is it Democrats? Is it your mother? Is it your father? Is it your boss? Is it your teacher? Is it a friend? Is it a trans activist? Is it a Muslim? Is it a Mormon? Is it a YouTube commenter? <laughs> Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Enemies, enemies, there are enemies, but you gotta love them. Love them. Be a neighbor to someone. And see, I, I promise you, this will change the world. It did at one point. Christians were known for their love. I think we have become known for our dogmas. I wanna go back to being known for our love. Last passage, First John chapter 4, verse 19. <clears throat> we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And you have given us this command, anyone who loves God must love their brother or sister. So who is your neighbor? Well, it's as wide as you possibly can draw the circle. To whom do you have to show mercy? It's as wide as you possibly can show, draw the circle. Who needs to be loved by you? Well, it's everybody. And brothers and sisters, I think we could change everything. That we, we have to change our country, but, but we actually can if we learn to live a life of love. So go and love your neighbor. Go and love your neighbor. Have mercy on someone. Go be like a Samaritan. Go and do likewise. <clears throat> um, Lord, I just, uh, I want to say thank you for, for giving us just the 
this beautiful story, Lord. It's so, so powerful. First off, I want to grant, ask you that, ask that you would grant all of us repentance. Anyone here who has built a tribe and then has othered someone else, I pray that you would grant us repentance. If we have talked about separating people, if we have um, used those um, societal separations, whether it be um, from culture or from economics or from politics or from um, religion or anything, God, I, I pray that you would just grant us repentance, that we, instead of seeing people through a lens of a category, will begin to see people through the lens of everyone is made in the image of their creator. I pray that we can have that in our heart, that, that in the moments where we're tempted to go, those people are crazy and those people are radical and those people hate me and those people are whatever and we can just spew some, some vitriol and poison on someone else, that we would just stop for a second and just actually look at people like they are images, image bearers of their creator that deep in their heart, that even though they have marred that image by whoever they've become, um, that, that deep in who they are, they are still children of God. Lord, I, I also pray that you, will, um, that you will help us to be free from the outside influences um, that have made us into people that build tribes. Um, God, protect us from the, the shows we watch on TV, from the YouTube channels that we watch, um, Lord, when we hear someone bad-mouthing someone else, let that, let that be for us for like a, like a curse word. Um, let it be that we just turn it off instantly, like we just refuse to be poisoned um, by other people's um, bad-mouthing of another group. Um, God, let's have that type of hatred for othering of people um, so that we can actually present the gospel in a pure way. God, I pray that our church will shine like a star, especially as we come to the 24, uh, 2024 uh, uh, political cycle, um, that, that this congregation will be united as it's ever been, and that we won't be separated and, and, um, and, and skewed by, by just human arguments, um, because really, like, all that stuff just goes away. It's not eternal matters. The stuff that really matters is the gospel of, of your son. God, and I just want to say thank you as we take communion, the bread that represents your body and the juice that represents your blood. I just, I just, blood. I just want to say um, that, we, that we are so thankful that when we were enemies, you didn't pass us by. Um, you could, <laughs> that Romans 5 literally says that we were your enemy. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how else we can look at it. You know, we weren't good people that deserved to be brought into a relationship with you. We were disasters. And yet you, you, paid whatever the cost to bring us into relationship with the Father. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for that. And we just want to say um, we want to be that type of person for those in this community. We want to be that type of person for, for those who are, um, who are just, you know, maybe haters of our faith. We want to be that type of person for those who are um, just who, who maybe look at us as though we're crazy because we worship a God. And I just, I want to have that type of faith that, that can love in spite of all of that. And, and, and I, I want to hold on to the love of your son who at one point changed the world. I know it can again. Lord, give us the courage to do that. Give us the ability. Grant us repentance. We love you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.